0: of David, a man after God's own heart and we're into part five. This morning our title is Faith on the Run from 1 Samuel chapter 22 verses 1 to 5. David is on the run and last week we saw how he tried to get out of trouble by lying and deceiving. First to the priest at Nob and then to the king of the Philistines by faking insanity, by faking he was mad. How backslidden he was in his mad flight from Saul uh, to not only just take Goliath's sword but actually end up in Goliath's hometown. Who does that? He was doing this, all this things because he was living out in his own way and this simply led him into more trouble. That is why we called it deception on the run. But as we move to the next chapter, there is a positive change in the way that David does things. He starts to do things God's way and that is why we call it faith on the run. What is evident in this brief passage is that he experiences a turnaround. No, uh, things will not get necessarily easier, but there is a spiritual renewal going on that sets him back on track at the centre of God's will for his life. Now, I'm sure that being on the run was not David's goal in life as he was growing up. You know, what do you want to be when you grow up, that type of thing. Uh, tending sheep and playing the harp would be more what he had in mind. Just sits below, the, be, yeah, beneath or beside a creek, and just play your guitar, singing tunes. But life really turns out as we plan, doesn't it? There are many twists and turns along the journey that we do not foresee or account for. We didn't, but God has. He has accounted for all of this. And handing over control to God is perhaps one of the hardest lessons that we learn in life. So what can we learn from this relatively short passage and what is it that we can get out of it? And hopefully this morning we're able to just get underneath the layers and build each other up in the faith. The first heading is continue to serve God. Continue to serve God in verses 1 to 5. David left Garth and escaped to the cave the cave of Adullam. and when his brothers and his father's household heard about it, they went down to him there. And all those who were in distress or in debt or discontented gathered around him, and he became their commander. About 400 men were with him. So David finds a cave in the Judean border. It, it's, it's not rare. There are, there are many caves. Uh, those were, would have been to the land of Israel, particularly on, 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 the, on the side there where the, the Dead Sea, the valley of the Dead Sea, uh, down below. There are caves everywhere because the, the composition of the rock is, is fairly soft. So people, and even if you don't find a cave, you simply go out and you know, start digging one. This place was good because it was strategic, providing Dave and his men shelter, concealment, some type of security. But it's also interesting that in the Bible, caves are usually associated with death. There are no windows, obviously, if you've been inside a cave. Um, If you've been in those caves in Genolan... For example, uh, when they switch off the lights, there is this very unsettling experience where you can't even see your hand. Uh, That's how dark it can get. No windows, no light, just darkness. Uh, So much so that in ancient Israel, caves were often used as tombs where they lay the dead. For example, Abraham's first piece of real estate in the Promised Land was what? It was a cave for his wife, Sarah, the cave of Machpelah and then it became the cave of the patriarchs because you don't just put one person in there One the you start adding the rest of them so David fleeing to a cave suggests that he had been driven from the wider society where he was very popular but the king was after him And he had nowhere else to go because a lot of people knew his face. It was all over Facebook. Everybody knew. And it's also telling us that from an earthly perspective, for him, things were bleak and hopeless. In one sense, David was as good as dead. The surrounding walls of the cave can block your perspective. The view from the cave can sometimes be depressing. But it does not mean that God is through with you or that God has forgotten his promises, he's given up. What about his anointing? What about his promises that he was going to be king? What happened to all of that? One of the things you must realize is that God does geometry a little bit different to us. Yes, God came up with geometry and trigonometry. And and he knows that the shortest point, the shortest distance between two points is a straight line. Right? He knows that. In your life and mine and in David's case and in, in many of God's people, it's not a straight line. In fact, there are many twists and turns, there are many ups and downs and there are many going around and around and until finally you get home That's been my experience. It's probably yours as well. That's certainly David's experience. But, but an important lesson for us is that God's delays are not God's denials. You need to understand that. We need to understand that. God's delays are not God's denials. And so despite the, the, the gloomy outlook in the cave, there is a positive note here. And it comes in the, name, in the very name of the cave, Adjelam. Uh, the, the Hebrew word actually means refuge. This place becomes a refuge for David and then others who came to him. And it's not a stretch to call it a refugee camp. Suddenly David, the leader, kicks into action his leadership skills. He did not uh, become self-absorbed and and, and passive and paralysed by the relentless persecution from outside. He starts to focus outwardly to those around him rather than inwardly. He soon gets into organising and and planning and, and serving others where he was at. And it's sad to see sometimes so many believers turn away from God when life gets difficult. I see it happen all the time. But that is exactly the moment, that is exactly the time we should be turning to him, not away from him. Peter reminds us what we need to be doing when we are going through a difficult time. He says in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 19, So then, those who suffer according to God's will just get your head around that one suffer according to God's will do you get that or I've got to repeat it again those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and just sit around and do nothing go on a holiday take a break mate just get away from it all go find a cave right and just wait to die that's what you need to do no that's not what I read here he says and continue to do good continue to serve continue to do good Well, how can I continue to do good when I'm suffering, when I'm I'm finding everything is so dark, everything is falling around me, when people are persecuting me, when they're after my skin? What am I supposed to do? People hate me. I've been unfriended by so many people on Facebook. What am I going to do? Commit yourself to your faithful creator and continue to do good is what you've got to do. That's what David did. So, what was his new challenge? And what areas did he serve? Firstly, his family comes to him. When David's family learned of his whereabouts, they came to where he was. Uh, we recall that the family's attitude uh, attitude towards Junior was was not the best. Uh, but things move very quickly since those early days when Samuel turned up to town. In a short time, uh, little brother has risen through the ranks to become a, a fearsome warrior, renowned throughout the land. And furthermore, because of this, his family would have been afraid of Saul's King Saul's vindictiveness that it would extend to the rest of his family as well. In fear, then, they have to leave Bethlehem. They they run their own safety and they join their persecuted son at Adjulam. Likewise, I think that when you find yourselves, when we find ourselves in trials and tribulations, it is impossible for your extended family to simply remain immune to it. Everybody's going to feel the pain sooner or later. You can't protect them in that sense. And how you manage this uh, will usually point to the end result, how you come out of it at the other end. Uh, a good example we have even here, a good example we have in, is Saul's disintegrating family relationships as the hostility grew between Father Saul and and his son Jonathan, for example. Things were getting worse. But, but, But By way of contrast, the opposite is happening with David and his family. One family is being torn apart while the other is coming together. It's interesting, right? And then many others join in. Suddenly all sorts of people started showing up at the cave. Most of these were in some kind of trouble or just unhappy with Saul and how he ran things. It says here, everyone who was in distress, uh, in debt and discontented, the Bible says. These are the people who life had forgotten about him. And, and they gather around David and he became their leader. Suddenly with more than 400 people there, the place, that cave became a little crowded, one would have thought. They came to David because they wanted to find hope, they wanted to find a future, that that here was someone that we look up to, that he is worth fighting with, that there is a cause worth fighting for and God mightily gave them that purpose, that, that goal to come together. And, and they, they would have known that life with David wasn't going to be all fun and games. Yet these men, who started out like the, 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 the movie, The Dirty Dozen, right? that's how they started out, that's what I'm thinking about when I think about David's men, a motley crew of misfits and outcasts, would soon be trained and equipped and welded by David into this fearsome fighting machine that we're going to be reading a lot about later on. So he ministered. David ministered to his family. He ministered to those in trouble. In some ways, David is a type of someone who would follow a thousand years later. Jesus, who also ministered to the downcast and the poor. And people came to him from everywhere for healing, to be fed both physically and spiritually. They came to him. Now what the church is also composed of a a mixed lot of misfits and outcasts. I've just insulted you, didn't I? I'm not going there again, i just become a misfit. We're a mixed lot, aren't we? Finding refuge in who? In the Lord. The Apostle Paul said this of the early believers at Corinth. Uh, he said uh, not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful, not many were of noble birth. 1 Corinthians 126. And when he says not many, he is being kind. You know that, right? Another way to say it would be most of you were a bunch of losers. Yet, it has to be amazing, it has to amaze us what God can do with so-called losers, what the world considers as losers, what God can do with us, isn't it? Who would want to be a Christian in this world, in this day and age? Who? Verses 3 to 4, continue to seek God's will continue to seek God's will. From there, David went to Mishpah in Moab and said to the king of Moab, would you let my father and mother come and stay with you until I learn what God will do for me? So he left them with the king of Moab and they stayed with him as long as David was in the stronghold. Now, an important aspect of knowing God's will for the future, for the present and for the future, is, is is remembering what God has done for us in the past. I know that that's something that has benefited me personally many times before and maybe you as well. And for David, this is where it gets really interesting. David didn't want his parents to, to dwell. That would have been getting on, his parents. He didn't want his parents to dwell in a cave or live on the run With him, he wanted wanted to to put him out of harm's way. So he takes them to the king of Moab, which was on the other side of the Dead Sea, quite a a distance. So why did he take his parents to Moab of all places? For starters, the, the, the Moabites they were descendants of Lot. They were traditional enemies of Israel. And and the last place where, I suppose one reason is this is the last place where Saul would come looking for them. But there is more to the story here if we continue to dig a little bit deeper. David knew his ancestry well. He put on his website, Ancestry.com, and he found out about his background No, he didn't. They told each other stories all the time. David knew his roots and how God providentially cared for his ancestors in the past. So he brings his parents to Moab for safety. So where's the connection? Well, the story of Ruth, the book of Ruth in the Bible tells us this. Uh, It's a wonderful example of how God looked looks after his own. And Ruth was a a Moabite, land of Moab, who just happens to be David's great-grandmother. So David had Moabite blood in him. And the king of Moab knew this. David, obviously, was a well-known warrior. His reputation would have grown just, you know, as much in Israel as he was outside of Israel, and genealogy is a very important part of who you are. Where does he come from? What is his family? In God's providence, remember the story, Ruth was brought into the community of faith in Israel through Naomi, her mother-in-law, who wasn't the happiest of characters, we must admit, Remember on her return to Israel this is what she said to her people when they welcomed her home and this is in Ruth chapter 1 verses 20 or 21 she says, call me Mara because the Almighty has made my life very bitter I went away full full means she was hungry that's the reason they had to leave Okay, they had nothing to eat I went away full. I had so much. But the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. Now, despite her joyful disposition, The Lord has so much good in store for Naomi and her family. She just can't see it. The great King David would be her daughter-in-law's great-grandson. God had plans to bless Israel and the whole world through Naomi and her sufferings. Yet it was God's plan that it would be through Ruth's it it wouldn't be through Ruth's first husband who died, that was Naomi's son, but rather through Boaz, her close relative. And from David would come the long-awaited Messiah, the saviour of the world. And here she is, whinging and carrying on. Why? Because... She was in a cave. She couldn't see outside. She couldn't see beyond her own troubles and suffering. She was stuck, locked into the immediate and what it looked like. How many Naomi's are, are here this morning? Right? Don't put your hand up. You don't want to embarrass yourself, do you? It's hard, isn't it? It's hard it's hard to to look ahead in hope and expectation. Could Naomi have imagined the, the privileged position, the 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 most famous renowned bloodline that you could possibly imagine? And she was part of it. Could she have imagined that her bitter experience in Moab would one day be a blessing to her grandson Jesse and her great-grandson David? So often we look at our suffering in isolation, totally missing out on the tapestry that God is weaving in your life and mine. Open your eyes. Open and look through the eyes of faith. Let's also notice a change of attitude in David's thinking when it comes to doing God's will. And this is clear when, when he says to the king of Moab, would you let my mother and father uh, come and stay with you? And here is the crunch. He says, until I learn what God will do for me. David is now not seeking to do his own will in this matter, but now he wants to learn what God will do for him. There, there is a renewed commitment to, to prayer and, and waiting on the Lord instead of his own ideas, his own thing. Because as well as serving those that God sent his way, David got to, to do what? He got to writing a couple of psalms, a couple of more psalms. And these came out of his experience in the cave. They are Psalms 57 and Psalm 142. And we, and this is what we read in the first four verses of Psalm 57. Again, let me read you. Uh, this was part of our first reading. For the director of music, to the tune of "Do Not Destroy," which was the first uh, uh, Christian metallic tune that was that was composed. Of David, a mixtam, when he had fled from Saul into the cave. Have mercy on me, O God, have mercy on me, for in you I take refuge. I will take refuge. Remember the word, name of the cave? I will take refuge in the shadow of your wings until the disaster has passed. I cry out to God most high, To God who vindicates me. He sends from heaven and saves me. Rebuking those who hotly pursue me. God sends forth his love and his faithfulness. He sends from heaven and saves me. What does he send? He sends forth his love and his faithfulness. wonder if we have the same heart for God or do we just push on regardless. There's a few ways we can learn the lesson. Uh, we can learn the lesson by hitting our head against the wall uh, you know, until it hurts and then bouncing off all the mistakes or constantly going in, falling into one hole and crawling out of a pothole and into the next... But isn't it easier, like David, to seek God's will on the matter? To come to him? Isn't it? The good thing is that David's request for guidance would be answered by God very shortly. And remember always that it's one thing to pray for guidance... It's another to act upon it in obedience and actually doing something about it. Like David, we should also, and this is our final point, continue to respond to God's word in verse 5. But the prophet Gad said to David, do not stay in the stronghold, go into the land of Judah. So David left and went to the forest of Herath. But let's just, just so that we understand the structure of the power structure in, in Israel. Um, we all think that the king was at the top of the tree. But no, it's actually the prophet who spoke God's word who was even on top of the king. Had a, considered a higher authority. And during his lifetime, David had three prophets who guided and instructed him in his life. They are Samuel, right, who anointed him. They are Nathan, who later on we will meet and he's the one that rebuked him after his terrible sin. And here we have Gad that, that we meet. So while David received God's words through the prophets... The primary way that you and I receive God's word today is through God's word. We receive God's word through God's word, the Bible. Therefore, we should treat God's word as the surest sign of his will for our blessing, for our lives. We, should have, to, we have to price the scriptures and eagerly believe and obey them because it comes from God. That is what we affirm in our doctrine, in our faith and we have to practice it in our lives. And you could always tell the disposition of a king, of a king's heart toward God by the way that he responded to God's prophets. And I think you can always tell the disposition of a Christian by the way that they respond to God's word as well. That kind of ready obedience to God's word is, is a mark of a true and living faith. And just go back to, to David and Saul. The problem with Saul was that although he started really well, He then stopped listening to God because he wanted to do his own thing. Like Frank Sinatra, he wanted to do it his way. And as he turned away from the Lord, his heart was hardened more and more in unbelief. When that happens, you have less tolerance for those who do follow God. You have less tolerance for his people. And you start actually persecuting them, which is what Saul did, persecuting the godly, making them outcasts. He didn't want anything to do with them. And it should also be a warning to us, particularly as, as this weekend around the world they are uh, concentrating on religious freedom right around the world, that we are seeing religious freedom being Taken further and further away from us. We have actually seen, we have peaked at religious freedom. And surely we are heading the other way now. Get ready. It's happening. When society starts to verbally cancel the godly in the land, it is a physical, it is a sure sign that physical persecution is not far behind. Who would want to be a Christian in today's world? Who would want to obey the Lord in today's world? Whatever the cost of obedience. The American poet Archibald Rutledge, who wrote about 50 books... uh, told a story of meeting a man whose whose dog had just been killed in a in a bushfire. Heartbroken, the man explained to Rutledge how it happened. Because this man worked outdoors he often took his dog with him. But that morning he left the animal in a clearing and gave him a command to stay and watch his lunch while he went into the forest. So his faithful friend understood for that's exactly what he did. So then a fire started in the woods and soon the blaze spread to the spot where the dog had been and the dog did not move. He stayed right there where he was in perfect obedience to his master's word. And as he was retelling the story with tearful eyes, the dog's owner said, I always had to be careful what I told him to do because I knew he would do it. It's interesting that when dogs are more obedient to their master than Christians, to their loving God, saves us. Let's recall that King Saul was still, still looking out to, to get to David. So God's word to David through the prophet was you need to leave here and go back to Judah. But in Judah, he could have protested, he could have said, in Judah, you know, Saul is trying to kill me. No, that's where God wants you to go. He wants you to go to the fire. He wants you to go back there. And what did David do? He quickly responded to God's word. Despite his fears, he went anyway. If we are to profess faith in David's God, we must be willing to obey as David did. Making sure that God's word becomes our word, for us. We own it. We live it. We obey it. And when our lives seem off course, when certain dreams fall apart, remember that God is still God. He hasn't moved. He has the ultimate plans for our lives. We can react like Naomi and whinge our way to heaven. But even then, We're missing out. If we take that attitude, we're going to miss out all the joy that life has for us even now, even in the midst of persecutions. And if we do end up in a dark cave due to our own sin or someone else's sin, God is still bigger than our sin or mistakes. Let's remember to serve, continue to seek His will, and, and, and continue to to respond in obedience to his word. this way he will fulfill his plans for our lives, and we will continue to be able to to minister, to tell others of the wonderful works of the Lord being used by him. We have a wonderful God. And and his plans for us, like I said before, will take so many twists and turns, ups and downs, but we know where we are going. We know the destiny. We know his purposes for our lives. May God continue to bless us as we serve him. Amen.